This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the massacre of the Dupereau family that occurred in 1961 on a yacht named the Bluebell. So first I'll start with the background of a man named Julian Harvey. It is believed he was responsible for the massacre. I'll move to the timeline of the crime, then offer my analysis. Julian Harvey was born in 1917 in New York. His parents divorced when he was only one. He lived alone with his mother until she remarried when he was age six. Julian had a problem with stammering when he was young. It went away for a while, but returned later in life. His stepfather was wealthy. He gave him his own sailboat. However, when the Depression hit, his parents were devastated financially. They sent him to live with his wealthy aunt and uncle in Scarsdale, New York, when he was 13. This couple took good care of Julian. Julian married when he was in high school. The relationship was over within a year. The marriage was annulled. He graduated from high school in 1937 and started working as a door-to-door salesperson, but he was too nervous to do the job. When someone answered the first door he knocked on, he ran away. It's easy to see how this would impede sales performance. He went to college and studied engineering, but two years later, the United States entered World War II. Julian didn't wait to be drafted. Rather, he joined the Army Air Corps, which would later become the Air Force. At some point around this time, Julian married again and had a son. The couple divorced in 1945. Julian Harvey flew airplanes like the B-24 bomber in World War II and the F-86 Sabre in the Korean War. He had received both the Distinguished Flying Cross and the Air Medal for action, although he also had a reputation for crashing aircraft. He married for a third time sometime around 1948. The couple had a son named Lance. In 1949, Julian was in a suspicious car accident where he drove over a bridge into the water. Julian escaped, but his wife and mother-in-law drowned. He said that he jumped out of the vehicle when it was still in the air. Yet the divers reported that all the doors were closed and the driver's side window was rolled down. Regardless of the condition of the doors, it's almost impossible to believe that somebody could exit a vehicle while it was driving off of a bridge into a body of water. If he was somehow able to do that, he would have had to known he was driving off that bridge. A few weeks after this incident, Julian was living with another woman, so it doesn't seem as though he was too broken up about his wife dying. Still in the Air Force, Julian was transferred to Texas in 1950. There he married his fourth wife, although she believed she was the second. They divorced in 1953 after Julian told her he didn't love her anymore. Julian married again. This was number five. The couple bought a yacht together. Within a year, Julian ran aground on a wreck of a Navy battleship in the Chesapeake Bay. So he destroyed his yacht. This was likely insurance fraud. Witnesses say that the wreck was well marked and that Julian kept moving the vessel near it when there was no need to. Julian bought another boat not long after this. Julian was given a medical discharge from the Air Force in 1958. He had been injured a few times and had severe anxiety. 
That same year, his fifth wife filed for divorce, citing extreme mental cruelty. While the divorce was still pending, Julian took his vessel out to Cuba. A fire broke out, which consumed it. He was rescued and once again collected the insurance money. He then bought another vessel. In 1959, his divorce finalized, and he sold the vessel he had purchased not long before. Around this time, Julian moved to Florida, first to Miami, then to Fort Lauderdale. In Fort Lauderdale, 44-year-old Julian Harvey did not have difficulty attracting women. He was quite popular. He met a 34-year-old woman named Mary Dean. This couple would marry in July of 1961, so this was his sixth wife. As this was going on in Florida, we move over to Green Bay, Wisconsin, the home of the Duperell family. It comprised five members, 40-year-old Arthur, his 38-year-old wife Jean, and their three children, Brian, Terry Joe, and Renee, ages 14, 11, and 7. Arthur had served as a medic in the Navy during World War II. He worked as an optometrist after being discharged. He had a dream of taking his family on a year-long sailing adventure around the world. This was ambitious, and he wasn't sure how the family would tolerate it, especially the children, so he decided to take a practice run. He was going to take the family on a week-long cruise from the Florida Keys to the Bahamas. In November of 1961, the family arrived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Arthur paid $515 to charter a sailboat called the Bluebell. This vessel was a catch. It had two masts. The main mast was toward the bow. It was 60 feet tall, and the other was toward the stern. It was 45 feet tall. The vessel was 60 feet long. Arthur also hired Julian Harvey for $100 a day. Julian was going to function as the captain. This was the first time Julian had ever taken a charter like this. Julian's wife, Mary Dean, was also going to work on the vessel. She was going to function as the cook. The Bluebell departed on Wednesday, November 8, in the early afternoon. The vessel traveled to several destinations in the Bahamas. The family engaged in a number of activities like snorkeling, spearfishing, and buying souvenirs. While visiting Sandy Point on November 12, Arthur told a commissioner there that the trip had been a once-in-a-lifetime vacation and he and his family had thoroughly enjoyed it. The vessel continued sailing in the Bahamas and returned to Sandy Point. At this point, the vessel departed, ostensibly headed back to Florida. So this was going to be the last leg of the journey. The next day, November 13, at about 12.35 p.m., an oil tanker called the Gulf Lion came within visual distance of a dinghy drifting in the ocean. One of the crew members saw Julian Harvey waving his arms frantically and shouting, Help! I have a dead baby on board. The crew members of the oil tanker rescued Julian Harvey. They also retrieved the body of Rene Dupereau. Julian had misidentified Rene as Terry Joe, causing some confusion initially. Here's the story that Julian told the crew members of the oil tanker. On the day before, at 8.30 p.m., the Bluebell was hit by a squall out of nowhere. The vessel keeled over. The main mast snapped and penetrated the hull. It slammed straight down like a nail being struck by a hammer. In the process, the mast severed a gas line. Several on board the vessel were injured. Because the mast had broken, there was loose rigging on the deck. Julian and Arthur were separated from the other people on board the vessel, 
Julian tried to reach a pair of wire cutters that were in the cabin so he could cut through the rigging, but a fire broke out because of that broken gas line. Julian tried to put out the fire with two different fire extinguishers, but he was not successful. He was forced to climb into a dinghy and escape. He failed to rescue any of the people on board, but he was able to rescue a lot of supplies and a raft that he towed behind the dinghy. He retrieved Renee's body as it floated by. He tried to save her, but she was already dead. He kept the body in the dinghy out of respect. Julian was transported to Nassau, which is the capital of the Bahamas. Investigators asked him a number of questions. They found a few circumstances of his story to be suspicious. The dinghy was well stocked with survival supplies. Julian was calm and relaxed. There was a lighthouse near where the incident allegedly occurred. They were not aware of any sea squall that night and did not see any fires. Once in the dinghy, Harvey did not direct it to the nearest island, which was only a few miles away. Julian never attempted to use the flares that he had in an emergency kit in the raft. He said he never even thought of them. Julian said that Arthur was steering the vessel during the incident and directed it into the wind. This, of course, would only fan the flames of the fire and would have been an unusual move for Arthur, who was also an experienced sailor. Ultimately, the authorities could not prove that Julian was lying, although they strongly suspected he was. They sent him to Miami to meet with the United States Coast Guard. Now moving to November 16. This is three days after Julian was rescued. A Greek freighter that went by the name Captain Theo was sailing in the Northwest Providence Channel when its second officer spotted Terry Joe floating on a small raft. Initially, he thought it was a fishing vessel, but soon realized that it was a young girl. The crew of the Captain Theo rescued Terry Joe. She had difficulty identifying herself because her voice was hoarse, but she was able to do it. She told the crew members that the vessel she was on sank, and she had been floating for several days. Terry Joe had severe sunburn, dehydration, and exposure. She slipped into unconsciousness. The crew members of the Captain Theo called the Coast Guard for a rescue. A helicopter was dispatched and transported Terry Joe to a hospital in Miami. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, 
Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. On November 17, Julian Harvey was in the middle of an interview with the U.S. Coast Guard. Investigators told him that Terry Joe had been rescued the day before and that she would survive. Julian said, isn't that wonderful? Julian told investigators that he was tired and needed to talk to his wife's family. They allowed him to leave. Julian drove to the Sandman Motel on Biscayne Boulevard and checked in using the name John Monroe. He paid cash for a room. He wrote a two-page note before bringing it into his life using a razor blade. A maid found his body about two hours later. The note was addressed to a friend from his time in the military. Julian requested that his 14-year-old son be taken care of, and he requested that he be buried at sea. This occurred a few days later. Terry Joe had recovered enough by November 20 to provide investigators a detailed version of events. Here's what Terry Joe told them. The Bluebell started its return trip to Fort Lauderdale late on November 12. At about 9 p.m., Terry Joe walked to the lower cabin to go to sleep. So we see the vessel was being sailed at night. Everyone else was on the deck. Later in the evening, she heard her brother screaming and yelling for her father. She also heard thumping noises. Terry Joe walked back up to the deck to find the bodies of her mother and brother lying in a pool of blood in the main cabin near the galley. Continuing toward the deck, she saw Julian Harvey carrying a bucket. It may have actually been a gas can. Julian pushed her below deck, screaming, quote, get back down there, unquote. She was back in her cabin for about 15 minutes when she noticed oil and water coming in on the floor. Julian entered her cabin carrying a rifle. Later, it was determined this was a 22 caliber rifle that he had taken on board. He looked right at her, but turned around and walked back to the deck. Terry Joe said that she heard some type of hammering sound. She walked up to the deck to investigate and found the dinghy floating on the port side of the vessel. Julian was standing on the deck. She asked Julian if the boat was sinking. He replied yes. Julian asked her if the dinghy was loose. She said she didn't know. He told her to hold the rope that was attached to the dinghy, which she did. He went to get something, but by the time he returned, the rope had slipped through Terry Joe's fingers. Julian jumped overboard and swam out to the dinghy. Terry Joe remembered that there was a small raft lashed to the deck. As the bluebell started to sink, she untied it and threw it overboard. For a moment, a piece of rope attached to that raft was caught on the bluebell and started to pull the raft underwater. Terry Joe managed to get it free. And of course, the raft floated back to the surface. Terry Joe climbed into the raft. She had no supplies with her. According to Terry Joe, when she was floating away, the bluebell was not on fire, the mast was not broken, and the sea was calm. She would remain on that raft without water or food for three and a half days. Terry Joe returned to Wisconsin. She would eventually marry and have three children. During an interview 49 years after the murders, Terry Joe said that when people reflect on what happened to her, she hopes they'll think to themselves, 
that she has gone with her life as opposed to feeling sorry for her. Now moving to my analysis. Because Julian died, he was never charged in connection with the incident aboard the Bluebell. Many people, of course, believe that he was guilty of multiple homicides. There's no way to know for certain, but the evidence against him is convincing. Let's take a look at it. There is no plausible alternate theory for what happened. Julian's story about what happened during the incident did not make any sense. Terry Joe's account strongly points to homicide. Julian bringing an end to his life suddenly after hearing Terry Joe was alive looks more than a little suspicious. The loss of the Bluebell was actually the third time in six years that Julian lost a ship. Not long before the murders, he took out a $20,000 life insurance policy on Mary Dean's life. Again, this was his sixth wife. It had a double indemnity clause for accidental death. The distance that Julian traveled in the dinghy suggests he had propulsion. He probably dropped the engine in the ocean and sank the gas cans not long before being rescued. The crew members of the Gulf Lion remember Julian sinking a gas can right before they rescued him. Considering the evidence, was Julian Harvey guilty? I think he was guilty of murdering his wife and the Dupereau family, in addition to the attempted murder of Terry Joe Dupereau. The most probable theory is that he only intended to kill his wife, so that was probably his plan, like he was going to stab her or strangle her and throw her overboard to collect the insurance. He figured the family members would be his witnesses, like Mary just went missing sometime in the night, no one killed her, no one knew what happened. It was just an accident. Therefore, the double indemnity would kick in and Julian would receive $40,000. Something went wrong in his plan and he decided to take out all the witnesses. He didn't kill Terry Joe because she let go of the rope. He had to dive into the water and swim out to the dinghy or risk not being able to reach it at all. He probably didn't come back to finish her off because he figured she would drown when the bluebell sank. He vastly underestimated his victim. What about personality factors in this case? Like many people who are outwardly successful and then commit murder, the adjectives used to describe Julian fell into two disparate groups. On the one side, people found him to be charismatic, well-mannered, likable, handsome, sophisticated, heroic, ideal, and dashing. On the other side, people thought he was a sociopath, immoral, he had no empathy, he was self-centered, entitled, envious, arrogant, anxious, and creepy. What I find interesting about Julian is that in some ways he seemed like a typical grandiose narcissist, dominating, sensation-seeking, and assertive, but at other times he appeared to be more like a vulnerable narcissist, anxious and fearful. Not what somebody would expect for an individual who flew fighters and bombers. When he would get anxious, his stammering would return, he would exhibit facial tics, and his self-confidence would decrease. When he was in the Air Force, people would often make fun of him, including his subordinates. There were times in his service with the Air Force when he was heroic and courageous, but other times he would find problems with aircraft so that he could miss dangerous missions, like he had a lot of mysterious occurrences. For example, in Korea, he had a phenomenal number of mysterious engine failures that required him to return to base without engaging in combat. In addition to narcissism and psychopathy, Harvey appeared to have a lack of insight. He kept committing 
obvious crimes, like insurance fraud, assuming that his reputation as a war hero and his attractiveness would discourage any investigation. Largely, he was correct. With this in mind, here's a potential personality profile for Julian Harvey. When I conceptualize personality, I often use the five-factor model. I remember the five factors through the acronym OCEAN, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. Julian appeared to be mid-range in openness to experience. He wasn't particularly creative or invested in fantasy. We see mid-range conscientiousness. He had some impulsivity, but those other times when he could demonstrate a good work ethic. We see a high level of extroversion. He was assertive and sensation-seeking. Low agreeableness. He did not have a lot of trust for people. He valued competition over cooperation. And we see high neuroticism. He was angry and anxious, but he was able to present as being low in neuroticism. So people viewed him as quite calm and stable emotionally. From Julian Harvey's perspective, the lives of other people did not matter. He was willing to kill everybody on board the Bluebell in order to collect insurance money. It seems likely that Julian would have committed more crimes in the future, perhaps other homicides. Terry Joe's amazing journey of survival not only saved her life, it prevented Julian from continuing on his trail of destruction. One of the themes I see with Julian Harvey is how everyone and everything he came in contact with was destroyed. He was married six times. Two of those wives he probably murdered. The other ones were not happy because of his abusive behavior. When he flew in the Air Force, he destroyed a number of aircraft, not necessarily enemy aircraft, but his aircraft. We see with boats, he destroyed three of those. It's likely that all three of those destructions were intentional. And of course, we see that he wiped out the Dupereau family. So really, through Julian's life, he just destroyed people and objects, one after the other, with no regard for how his behavior affected other people. He was a versatile criminal, willing to commit murder, willing to commit insurance fraud, willing to harm people in other ways. He was really like a wrecking ball that just moved throughout these different people's lives. For much of the time, he was able to stay disguised as an ideal romantic partner, a war hero, a competent ship captain. People just couldn't see what he was like. They couldn't understand his true nature until it was too late. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, 
you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.